I'm thrilled for episode 200. We've done this 200 times, Megan, 200 times on the Whole Whale podcast, but this time we're talking about some trends. Looking forward, it seems like a poignant moment. Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. All right, Megan, I really appreciate you uh, putting up with me, putting you on the spot, Megan Ann Halt, our Chief Strategy Officer, uh, talking about on our 200th episode uh, about some trends. We were asked by the Nonprofit Times to write about trends we saw coming in 2021, and a little bit of news dropped over the weekend just after we reported this, uh, that it looks like our President-elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be uh, the the next uh, president, vice president, which uh, is happy news to the majority of Americans, but it's also sad news to a shockingly high number of Americans, and it's important to note. Today, we're going to be going through the impacts of that on giving in the end of the year and maybe a little forecasting as much as that's possible into 2021 and some of our other trends. So that said, hey, Megan, how's it going? Hello. Yeah, things are going good. Yeah, definitely looking more up after the results of the, the election. So really, I think, excited. Uh, I live in San Francisco. We saw a lot of celebrations um, in person, people out in the streets being really excited um, over the weekend. And I think we will continue to see sort of that enthusiasm and that optimism as we head into the end of the year. And I think that's an important note, just to move on to it, optimism. And if you look at giving and giving trends, like, it's, it's clear that no matter what, people don't give when they're depressed. People don't give when there's not like a lot of hope. People do give when they're angry. We did see in 2016, a lot of mm -hmm. that sort of polarization of giving and sort of immediate action funds type of, uh, type of nonprofits that were responding to the, the threats on human rights um, in the country really, really spike uh, while others sort of fell in decline. But clearly this year, it's going to be a different wave, and you think you think that optimism is going to pay out in Q4 for nonprofits? Yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful um, coming out of the results of this election that as we head into Q4 and giving season to the end of the year, that that people are going to be extending that optimism and that hopeful feeling, both as um, communities continue to battle the coronavirus. We're obviously seeing major spikes uh, around the United States and communities around that. And so, you know, that is obviously going to be a factor as well as that we're going to need to consider. But in general, I think people are feeling very hopeful, hopeful and optimistic. Uh, and I think that will translate to increased generosity um, particularly around some of the same causes that immediately impact a lot of these communities uh, and in areas like climate change, you know, those areas that we know the new administration is going to be really focused on. But I also think that this is going to have a positive impact for a number of other organizations hit harder, particularly by the coronavirus, like arts organizations who, you know, because of the loss of in-person events uh, and all of those things, I think um, more people, now that they maybe are going to be less focused 
focused on the need to really bolster the coffers around some of these human rights abuses and those kinds of things um, might have more opportunity to give in some of these other areas that might feel less imminent, but are no less important in their minds. Yeah, the thing about sort of the the news cycle and attention, attention sort of is a finite resource. And a lot of the oxygen has been sucked up by this political campaign and, and this, pre- this, um, this outgoing president. And so when that lifts, uh, you're gonna have a larger, uh, like a larger buffet of interesting news to, to consume and nonprofits will get a greater share of that and causes that uh, are impacting non- uh, nonprofits are gonna get the light of day. You know, you mentioned obviously the pandemic, we're going to, you know, trend toward a, a new uh, devastating peak, but it also means a lot less travel, a lot less money being spent that could be redirected. So while, you know, that is, you know, going to have impacts on the holiday season, it's going to be a, a lot less travel and potentially extra money that could be moved around. So I think the the net effect of what we're saying is we are uh, very optimistic. We think this is a very good thing for nonprofits and potentially even moving into 2021. Um, anything to, to cap on that before we roll through some of the five trends that uh, we wrote about for the nonprofit times? Yeah, I mean, I think another thing I'll just add, and I saw a lot of the news organizations <laughs> commenting on this over the weekend as well, is I think people are just eagle, eager to um, not have to pay attention to politics anymore. Um, they want our politics <laughs> to be boring, and so they can really focus on the things that are interesting to them and that excite them, and that they don't have to sort of fight back in such a visceral way for their basic rights. And so I think that, as we've talked about, will hopefully translate to being able to support uh, really the causes that are most near and dear to people's hearts and their passions um, in a way that will hopefully help um, nonprofits as we head into the end of the year. So again, a lot of excitement and optimism, and we are very hopeful for what that will hopefully translate as uh, for these nonprofits. Moving into 2021, our first trend that we talked about was about the Zoom collaboration getting easier. Now you're like, what? How's this guy talking about Zoom as a trend? Like we are on <laughs> Zoom nonstop. What? Like we can't do more Zoom. I'm already Zooming all of the minutes. So what we're talking about is this sort of subtle shift of Zoom from a meeting platform to a convening platform where you're actually collaborating on say a word doc or a mind map or brainstorming sessions or like office hours and it's going to extend more and more into the business social realm i don't know if i'm phrasing this right because like people are like yeah that's what we do on zoom but it's like it's a shift it's a shift as a communication channel in my mind yeah, and I think that will really be bolstered by um, advances in the technology itself. I think Zoom has been working on a number of zaps or Zoom apps that will hopefully make that collaboration <laughs> oh a lot easier. You know, uh, obviously, uh, we hope that we will be able to sort of move through the impacts of the coronavirus and COVID-19 in 2021. But the reality is that the impacts of video conferencing and remote collaboration are here to stay for the long term. Um, a lot of these businesses who you know, originally may have required in-person collaboration are realizing that a lot of this work can be done remotely. And so I think for that reason, we will continue to sort of see the use of these apps continue long after uh, we hopefully stop talking about coronavirus and COVID-19. Yeah, and this extends to program delivery. Uh, you know, big shout out to the One Love Foundation, a uh, group that teaches young people about healthy and unhealthy relationships. They like move their entire in-person workshops that they were doing with high schoolers across the country 
onto Zoom and done it very successfully now with uh, thousands of trainings under their belt. And they're really not sort of like looking backward, being like, oh, wait a minute, we would turn this off. Think about that for a second. If you're doing something that's suddenly working, you're reaching people where they are, you're not going to suddenly turn that off. You're like, no, it's going to be in addition to. And we just sped up the clocks by like five years on all of this. Yeah, this is something that I think we were already moving towards, uh, sort of a broader transition of workforces moving more remotely, people being able to work from their hometowns, going back home, those types of things. And so I think we'll continue to see that in 2021. And Zoom is really on top of it uh, and continuing to innovate with their specific app. And then also all of its competitors as well, Google Meet and others, um, are going to be eager to sort of build in the tools and be the go-to option for that a remote collaboration. So we'll continue to see that in 2021 for sure. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Regardless of what you're, what you're using, it's all, it's all going to follow suit, right? You have to keep up with the Joneses. And right now it's the Zooms. Uh, a number two, super exciting data privacy and predictive <laughs> analytics. Oh boy. We'll go through this quickly, but really we're starting to see just the beginning of, you know, the, the U S response to GDPR. And so various states are going to come out with increased amounts of legislation over the coming years. And right now we also saw Google analytics Four pop out there, uh, just, just announced in, into Q4 here, which is for those of you geeks out there, the number one used web analytics system, Google analytics has a updated version, but it's a new version that sort of resets the clock. So we're, we're watching that, but in general, uh, it'll be important to understand your digital analytics, because as we just mentioned, if you're moving online, if your impact and programmatic pieces are online, you got to understand how people are using them. Yeah, we've already, you know, seen impacts here in the U.S. from increased focus and interest in data privacy and data protection, uh, obviously with the California um, what is it, CCPA, so the California Consumer Privacy Act that passed as well and going into effect. And so a lot of these companies have really had to think carefully about how they collect the data and um, how that sort of translated. And so Google is one that I think has really been on top of this early and uh, in releasing Google Analytics 4 have really started thinking about the ways in which uh, their data tracking um, and also really how they can start to leverage things like AI uh, and AI-powered insights uh, to be able to sort of fill the gaps uh, as we potentially are able to sort of collect less information and less data from users over time. Yeah, so an increase in uh, anonymity, but uh, also an increase in the predictive analytics is important. So our quick recommendation for nonprofits certainly is to turn on that you know, Google Analytics for, but you know, don't uh, don't give away your core asset yet, uh, because there's still a lot of uh, a lot of things they're working out on on GA four for sure. Yeah, and you know, we at Whole Whale think it's really important that you continue to sort of leverage your data and look at your data as much as you can to glean those insights, to understand sort of what's driving traffic, what's actually driving actions on your site. If you have petitions or email signups or download resources, those types of things, and really use all of that information to inform your strategies moving forward. And so, you know, this is something that we think will continue to be important um, to sort of leverage that data. So we are not saying that you shouldn't be, you know, capturing as much data as you can and tracking that. Um, but the good news is hopefully there will be an increase in tools that will help you sort of toe the line of uh, the protections for your users, but also still be able to capture those valuable insights that you get from sort of the user actions uh, that, that will happen on your site. And so we recommend a lot the use of dashboards. You can kind of translate that data for different stakeholders internally uh, and continue to sort of kind of see the the 
forest for the trees um, in, in that way. Number three, we're talking about mobile. You're like, really? Mobile? Yes. Uh, so not to sleep on mobile. It's going to get a huge upgrade with 5G rolling out nationwide, obviously in urban centers first, but 5G is a step factor better than what's there, which just means the web connected apps uh, and device and live streaming and uh, ability to use that as a real machine in the field is going to increase. Now, what does that turn into? I'm not quite sure. It depends on uh, the way your stakeholders use mobile, the way you deal with, you know, potentially like live streaming video uh, and, and moments on platforms of, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and the like. This change is going to improve their ability, their being your stakeholders' ability to consume and produce content in and around your cause. I'm not sure what that means at a nonprofit level, but it means something to me. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that basically since 2017, mobile devices have consistently accounted for more than 50% or more of traffic um, across, you know, overall web traffic. And I think this is something that often nonprofits, because you, you know, can only afford to do so many site redesigns over the years, have kind of uh, ignored. Uh, and I think it's something that we can ignore no longer. It's incredibly important to be thinking about your mobile users and how your website and your communications are translating to mobile devices. And so that's kind of the most important thing is just making sure that the content that you're putting out there is accessible for people um, who are sort of discovering that content through mobile. That goes that goes for things like your donate page, the you know, your emails that you're sending out, all of all of those pieces. Yeah, and potentially more somehow even more content consumed via mobile, getting ready on the multimedia. Yeah, and it you know includes things like just integrating Apple Pay into your donation pages and those types of things, so people um, can take those actions really quickly and easily from their phones. I mean, we've all gotten more comfortable, you know, taking you know buying things online through our phones um, and downloading things through our phones, and so that's something that will continue to be important as we head into twenty twenty one, particularly for nonprofits who might have been kind of ignoring this issue up till now. Yeah, and if and if we're saying there's going to be a, a burst in in mobile usage of your site and resources, my uh, my drum beating of SMS that uh, text messaging matters and it may matter uh, even more. Um, we keep a close eye on the the things that you know WhatsApp, Hustle, Twilio, Facebook Messenger do, and it's a it's a powerful communication platform. But that hasn't changed, and I don't see a big shift. It's just more of a, a George aspirational. More nonprofits should be using SMS to message and manage their audience. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're doing any on the ground organizing, uh, we saw this. It was huge for the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, so you want to make sure that you can communicate with your um, organizers or your people on the ground. Uh, and SMS is just such a tremendous tool for doing that. And then we've also seen a lot of mobile live video streaming and that playing a really critical role in activating uh, around different moments uh, in these movements and being able to capture that content that we know can be so motivating for driving, you know, nonprofit actions and organizing. And so I think nonprofits really need to think about how they can leverage these tools um, as, as we head into 2021. And a lot of these movements continue to hopefully gain traction and steam. Number four, we love the geekiness here, census map. <laughs> yes, the census, the 2020 census wrapping up. Oh yeah, yeah, remember the 2021 2020 census? That happened this year. We thought this hopefully. was gonna be like the biggest, yeah, the biggest thing ever and like, you know, there's, uh, I know I've seen some initial news about various reports of the validity of data, but like the true thing is this happens once every decade and this new flood of information lets us know 
where the Americans that we serve and hopefully protect actually live, the services they need. But this also plays into the data behind a lot of geomapping and a lot of analytics tools that you may not even realize, but things are going to get a lot more accurate. And it's an opportunity to tune up and say, wait a minute, we've been providing uh, parenting service, ESL courses, we've been providing hospital support, like whatever it is, like you're going to get a much better look at what the the net effect of change of services provided in a region, wherever, especially if you're working on the ground, have shifted, have shifted over the past uh, 10 years in a very accurate way. Like, I'm excited about this because, again, I'm a huge geek, geek and I love merging data sets uh, to get a better understanding of this. Uh, what do you see coming from the, the census, Megan? Yeah, I mean, I think everything you said uh, is exactly right. And I think there's an opportunity, too, and we see this a lot with um, the nonprofits that we work with. To the point that you were just making around reaching specific communities that they serve um, and being able to sort of connect with those communities. One way that you can do that is through paid advertising um, and targeting via zip code. And so the census, I think, will hopefully provide a much clearer picture of what the sort of different demographic needs um, within different communities are and just allow us to get so much more granular on what that targeting looks like and how we can uh, really reach directly into those communities and provide the support and services that they may need. Yeah, I love the the geomapping to geotargeting, your ability to reach folks and know who those people are is uh, very powerful for some groups. Uh, I'd imagine some groups in Georgia are particularly curious about this right about now. <laughs> well, yeah, and you definitely don't want to ignore this opportunity to really reassess uh, both those regional and local priorities and where there may be opportunities to both expand your reach uh, and also your impact among these different communities. As you said, you know, up till now, we've really relied on 2010 data. I mean, that's, you know, over 10 years old at this point. And so it's really important that we are able to sort of take a look at the new data however imperfect it may be because of the rollout of this year uh, and be able to make those adjustments to your overall strategy. Man, 10 years ago, that's when Whole Whale was being founded. That's crazy. That's a different <laughs> a different world. We couldn't even have a podcast like this. Oh man, <laughs> 10 years is a long time, but number five, TikTok still has time. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't resist. That's like what we wrote in the article. So we... Last year, in our predictions, we're saying TikTok was going to be a huge, huge player in 2020, and and it was. It's important to note in Q1, just Q1 of 2020, it set the record for the most downloaded app ever, 315 million downloads. If you think Mark Zuckerberg isn't watching this and shaking in his <laughs> mansion number 17, like you're wrong. That is a big number. And the other thing to add is that it's got probably one of the most sophisticated AIs running constantly to engage its audience. So it's engaged its video first platform and it's being downloaded at record global setting amounts and being adopted in the US on top of which hopefully with this, you know, Oracle Walmart deal, it's US operations will secure US data to be seen but secure it more. We were a bit concerned, I think and sort of our recommendations of it. Yeah, I mean, TikTok definitely ran into some issues um, this year in particular with the US government uh, over some various privacy and other concerns with security on the platform. I think, you know, this deal will make a big difference for them. Uh, and they do seem to be taking those security concerns seriously um, and making adjustments to their platform. And it's something we'll certainly want to keep an eye on. 
but I, that being said, I think there is just tremendous opportunity for nonprofits to be able to leverage this platform both organically, but also through uh, potentially advertising, sponsored campaigns, partnerships, particularly with influencers, because we've seen a lot of growth in influencers on the platform, much like we've seen on Instagram over the last decade or so. And so um, just creates a lot of opportunity for nonprofits to sort of be able to reach, particularly that younger audience where everyone's always asking, how do we reach the kids these days? What's the new hot platform? Uh, and it seems to be very clear and resounding that that platform of the moment is TikTok. And so there's a lot of opportunities there for nonprofits to have different partnerships, play around with the platform, maybe um, you know look into some sponsored campaigns uh, and just get yourselves out there. Yeah, it's a hashtag oriented platform. If you haven't played with it, like here's some homework, jump on, embarrass yourself, do whatever dance, find a hashtag and participate in it. Uh, <laughs> they make it dirt simple as a sort of mobile first platform to to produce some pretty fun assets. Uh, so don't take yourself too seriously, but we would say be careful if you are, you know, health related organizations or organizations that care about data privacy and pieces like that you know, know before going in what you're doing. You know, we are looking hopefully at more TikTok for good initiatives in 2021 because of the power of the platform. Yeah, and they do have, TikTok for good is a, is a real aspect of the platform. Um, it's a formal element. So uh, something to look into as well and pay attention to in 2021. Yeah, and so far uh, fundraising has been limited to a handful of nonprofits that have been pre-approved for it. So I wouldn't look for this to be the like, oh, you know, how do I get my donate button there? But more about a conversation, a public awareness and engagement with a younger audience. And the ways of working on it are really to uh, think about how you would create the guardrails of a challenge of communicating your story, putting out a hashtag and saying like, how would you take these funny assets and turn them into something? But so far it's, you know, uh, it, it's, it's still growing. And since it's still growing, the, the nature of how people communicate on it is uh, continuing to, to evolve, but it's, it's too big to ignore. But anytime there's yet another new platform, I'm always cautious of saying everybody go run and, and put all in on it. Uh, because no matter what happens is there's a normal arc to any of these platforms. And during the growth phase, it's like, oh my gosh, if only we had like a million TikTok followers, we'd be totally set. And like, the truth is you don't own the people that follow you on these platforms. You don't have their data. You don't have the permission to communicate to them on an ongoing basis. You have the permission for now. You have the permission for now. And so when we got excited way back in the day about, oh, you know, it's all about Facebook, get that page and get those followers. And then you can message them whenever you want. And then they change the rules. Like, guess what? As soon as money comes into play and they need to monetize, like that's what happens. It inevitably becomes a pay to play platform or the rules change. So as you do it, consider that that it's not a bedrock foundation to build a skyscraper on, but it's a wonderful platform, I think, to to play with. Yeah, definitely agree. And I think to your point, George, you know, as we look ahead to the end of the year and end of year giving, it's important not to sort of forget and leave behind the fundamentals. Like we know at the end of the day that one of the greatest assets that any organization has is they look to end of year giving is their email list uh, and also the data from their sites if they want to retarget site visitors, um, past donors, all of those things um, are going to be really important. And so it is, is, is really smart to sort of keep in mind that value of what you have currently uh, and how that's really going to play a role as we head into end of year giving. 
Yeah. And the other impact of TikTok on culture is definitely going to be felt because this thing is a meme machine. It <laughs> generates like a yet another like star is born every other week. And so there's going to be a lot of these uh, happening at accelerated rates and maybe an opportunity, maybe an opportunity to say, oh my gosh, someone is talking about uh, a forest, a local park, a, a certain issue and playing with that that meme into your messaging. So even if you're not on the platform, the cultural impact of the platform is still going to pervade news cycles and maybe present opportunities. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, one of the things that I feel like we've certainly seen uh, in 2020 is a resurgence of skating, <laughs> like old school roller skating. That's been really popular because of TikTok. It even trended a 1970s Fleetwood Mac song um, on the national stage. So uh, I think your point on following the trends there uh, really creates opportunity for nonprofits to be able to translate some of these cultural moments and make them relevant for the causes and the issues that they are driving forward. So I, I love that. All right. I think we can call it a wrap on that. Uh, those are those are some things to live for in 2021. Uh, anything else to add, Megan? No, I think we covered everything. Really exciting opportunities ahead. Happy 200th episode, Whole Whale podcast. <laughs> and happy 10th anniversary, George. Oh, Whole Whale, we did it. We made it 10 <laughs> years. I just... It just boggles my mind. It just seems like it was yesterday and also like eons ago because... Uh, time is nonlinear in 2020, and uh, thank you, thank you for being part of the team, Megan. I'm glad to have uh, glad to have you here. Thank you, and thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. You can check out today's resources at wholewell.com/podcast episode number 200. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 